This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. The focus of today's episode is on making artificial intelligence easier to adopt in the enterprise. There's a lot to be said of all the challenges to AI adoption, and we've covered many of them on the program. In fact, one of our most popular episodes is with the CEO of HelpShift some three or four years back about why AI adoption is so hard. Me and the team have always been so surprised that that was one of the more popular ones, but it's clearly something that resonates. It is a challenge to make the culture shift happen and to get the data infrastructure in place. And while there's efforts that enterprises need to make, there's also efforts that vendors are making in order to make their solutions easier to adopt. Obviously, every vendor is going to tell you how push-button simple it is to deploy their solution, and I'm the first one to challenge them no matter who they are uh, because AI adoption is simply not that easy. Many of you have commented on my challenging of guests in the past. It's certainly aimed to be done in a friendly way, but uh, we can't be perpetuating anything flimsy here on the show. This stuff is tough. And uh, there is no push-button way to bring AI to life in a broad sense within an enterprise. But again, there's things that we can do. We covered an entire week in early November about culture change from an enterprise perspective. And our episode today focuses on, again, as I just mentioned, what vendors can do to make their applications easier to adopt. Our guest this week is Marshall Choi of Samba Nova Systems. And Marshall speaks to us about two different approaches to AI adoption, the approach of doing it yourself and the approach of leveraging AI platforms. And there's pros and cons to both, but it's important for enterprise leaders to know that there are options to how they bring AI on board in their organization. And certainly many vendors are fighting to come up with better and easier options so they can sell more of their services and bring more results to life with their customers. Sambanova has raised some billion dollars uh, to bring their AI hardware hardware and software solution to life. And Marshall has some perspective on, again, two different approaches to AI adoption in the enterprise and how to choose which one might be best for your organization. Without further ado, let's go ahead and fly into this episode. This is Marshall Choi of Samba Nova Systems here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Marshall, good to have you back, uh, especially after the the latest news of, of you guys and your your big raises recently. And we've got some exciting topics to talk about now around AI adoption, um, doing so effectively, getting value faster. I want to talk first about the way that you think about adoption, because I know there's kind of people often think, okay, well, if I'm going to adopt AI, maybe I've I've got to prepare to get the hardware. I've got to prepare to hire all the team. I've got to prepare to invest kind of the full nine yards, but that there might be multiple ways to think about it. Can you kind of tee up the alternatives that people should think through even at the highest level? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Dan, thanks so much for having me back on. It's, of course. it's great to be here. You know, we think of, uh, you know, you know, how do people plan for these type of deployments in, in a few ways? And, you know, what, one of the ways people have traditionally thought of this is um, more of a traditional infrastructure route, which has all the, uh, detail and complexity of, you know, everything from, you know, selecting, you know, the hardware and, and architecting the solution, you know, plan, design, benchmarking, uh, sizing, tuning, optimization, deployment, and then doing all, all that several times over, you know, as, as a cycle before you get to the, the optimized solution and the optimized deployment for production. And unfortunately, this is a process that can take, uh, you know, many, many months, if not years, and, yep. and many, many person hours. 
And that's kind of where a lot of the market is today, especially in a nascent and, uh, you know, fast growing space as, as is AI and machine learning. Yeah. So you're calling that the traditional infrastructure route where it's like, let's buy the stuff, let's buy the people, let's integrate all the things. That's the umbrella's infrastructure out there. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, re- regardless of if you're a large bank or you're a pharma or even if you're a cloud services provider, really what you're enabling there is infrastructure as a service to your end users, right? And, you know, infrastructure service is great. It offloads certain things to the end user, but also leaves a lot of difficult work for them to do still when it comes to AI and machine learning, specifically around the software infrastructure for running AI applications, um, in particular models, right? You know, the neural network models, you know, there's a whole bunch of work to be done there in terms of just selecting the model to, to run and then tuning and optimizing that model in and of itself. And then again, you're back to the, you know, the sizing and the benchmarking and everything else. There's a better way to do all of this, right? And, and you know, customers have become very akin to this, you know, platform and, and software as a service type model. And uh, so we see a, a great uh, opportunity to provide extensible ML platform services where all the complexities I just mentioned are effectively outsourced away to the vendor. Um, and so the end user then has the benefit of, you know, not having to go through um, all that complexity of the planning and, and architecting and sizing and benchmarking and just, uh, you know, interfacing with the system, not as a system integrator, but as a, a end user and a developer making API calls in the system. Yeah. And just to make the analogy click for listeners, when we were off mic, you talked kind of lightly about, you know, the the AWS analogy in some way, shape or form. Is that maybe the best way to think about it in terms of these these sort of ML platforms? Or is there, you know, a better way that you like to allow people to kind of visualize this simpler, less infrastructure approach way? Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, we talk to folks all the time who, you know, basically say, you know, I want to consume your your extensible ML platform services just like I do other services, whether that be uh, you know, cloud subscriptions or a CRM system. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, there's the commercial side of that, right? Which is give me a monthly subscription. I mean, that's plain and simple and well understood, and solves for some financial difficulties customers have. But more importantly, you know, they want to have that cloud-like interface model with uh, with uh, you know API calls, versus again having to go and, and tune and tweak and optimize models, and so. You know, a lot of customers saying, you know, raise that level of abstraction for me and uh, get me out of the whole business of having to, you know, deal with the, the bowels of infrastructure and, and, and low-level software. And, and as we know in machine learning, one of the biggest challenges in the recent years has just been keeping up with the rate and pace of model development. It's fairly well known that if you go on archive.org, you know, on any given week, you're going to see 100 plus new papers a day. I mean, a week yep, uh, yep. about machine learning yep. models. That's effectively a hundred new ideas about how to do things differently or do things better. Yeah, um, and and most people just don't have the time or the desire to have to keep up with that week to week. And so, rely on your vendor's expertise to do that, and just provide you whatever that state of the art model is, and keep you always up to date, and get you out of that business of chasing the latest greatest models. Yeah. So and. I want to go a little bit deeper into both of these ways of doing because, you know, it, it seems as though they might both have their 
their place. And it's nice for people to understand the range of ways that adoption could look. You know, it's, it's not, oh, if I need to adopt AI, it looks like this. It's like, well, there's actually a gradient. And so you and I are talking about kind of two ends of this continuum. We could talk first about the traditional infrastructure approach. You know, clearly you have your super scalers, your Facebooks and whatnot who are, who are, you know, doing this. But, you know, you, you probably have, you know, your JP Morgans and maybe your Mercs and, and some of your other giant LifeSci and, and firms that have enough R&D budget to, to lock and load. So we'll talk about both of these approaches, the more light API, cloud-oriented, and the traditional infrastructure side, and talk about how to get speed to value through either channel. Let's talk first about the infrastructure approach. Who should be considering that? Or like what kinds of businesses or kinds of use cases should really be thinking a little bit more yeah. about infra? When is that called for? beyond the more plug and play of API, which might be more convenient, but might might maybe not allow for certain things. When should we think about option A, so to speak? Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. I mean, you know, and we have, we talk to people who do both things, right? And which is why sure. we do both things, right? And, yep. and so, you know, just different horses for different courses. And, you know, the infrastructure play is, uh, you know, something that we see being, uh, you know, glommed onto quite a bit by folks that are, you know, focus more on research and development type of activities, experimentation, um, where, you know, where they want to be doing a lot of that R&D type of, of, of work on the infrastructure itself, as well as the higher levels of the SAC. And so, you know, we do have a certain class of, uh, you know, folks out there who really want to build custom and build one off. And, you know, maybe they view that as competitive advantage. Maybe they view that as as core competency. Yeah, um, yeah, you know that's not everybody, right? You know, not everybody has the hundreds of ML practitioners and no, yeah, it's definitely not everybody. Yeah, to go stand all that up, um, yeah. and even if they do, maybe they don't want to continue having to do that. It, you know, it, oftentimes that was been born out of necessity, but you know, not what people want to be doing. I think one of the disservices that the vendors have done to the to customers in the IT and technology industry is selling people components and piecemeal parts and forcing the end user to be the final integrator. Um, there's very few other industries that do that, right? You, you, you don't buy, um, you know, cars or bicycles or, or homes and parts. You buy nope. them as complete units. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and we're seeing more and more of a shift towards people wanting that. However, having said that, there will always be the, the, the people who, um, you know, want to build from scratch and, and they should be supported as well. And clearly, again, like you said, different approaches for, for different objectives. The way that, that we traditionally hear about this, you know, to some degree, this overlaps with there's like the build by discussion in artificial intelligence as well. And, and some of this probably is, is a similar thing in terms of core infrastructure versus just do the API stuff decision. Some of the ways that that overlaps, not in every way, but some of the ways might be like you had mentioned core competences. If this is our most differentiating data. And if this is going to be where we house and where we develop, you know, these maybe super proprietary things that we think are going to be a part of the flywheel of how we win in the market long term, maybe it's something that we want to actually staff up around and really build super competency around because it's going to be the flywheel that that we lean our strategic advantage on. That would be one of the, the like colloquial arguments I could think for mm -hmm. the more infrastructure mm -hmm. approach. The other thing that you had mentioned was more like R&D type work, like the nature of the work is super hands-on anyway. We're not going to get this done through API calls. We already need a lot of crazy experts here. We already need a lot of deep data scientists here. It's the kind of work where we're already so damn hands-on. Just let me have the tools because I got to get close to the metal. I got I to gotta be able to work this thing. So it feels like you had mentioned the core competency. You'd mentioned the R&D. 
number one, would, would there be anything you'd add to those two? And is there any third category of when this infra investment might be worthwhile? Anything we're missing here? All, all great points. And I think, you know, back to the core competency comment, there's the core competency you have today, and there's the core competency you strive to achieve over time. And I think with, with AI and machine learning, one of the biggest challenges that organizations of all sizes are facing is just the ability to develop that core competency if they do not have it already. And that really comes down to staffing, right? You know, ML practitioners, you know, are, you know, not as abundant as the demand. So there is a supply and demand mismatch. And so these tend to be scarce and rare resources, which, you know, quite frankly, are, are fairly concentrated geographically as well it's true. Know, around, around uh, you know, major university programs. And so, um, you know, that, that can be a challenge as well. And so, you know, we see this as, as, as a huge stimulus for doing something differently than the traditional infrastructure yep. route. Yeah. So we're going to pivot right into the more API approach, what that yeah. looks like practically, how to do it well. But right before I do, if folks are going to lean on the have the infra, own it, whatever the case may be. Hopefully, if they if they have, I'll say it for their sake, and maybe you want to correct me here, but I would say, you know, you really do want to think about if it's necessary. Because like you had said, Marshall, sometimes it's been done out of necessity. You know, I would certainly make the argument, if you're going to buckle down at that level, is this really enough of our core skill set, our core differentiator? And to your point as well, is this something that will pull us ahead in the future versus sort of something that like, today is a middling advantage, but really five years from now is not going to be. Is this part of our transformation vision? Is this part of how we ultimately win the market five, 10 years from now? You know, I, I really think through those questions, but let's say that the answer is yes. Let's say that, you know, we've, we've got the, the requisite skill, which as you had said, is hard to get. We've, we've made the strategic decision that the traditional infrastructure route is, gonna, is where we're going to go. You guys at Samba clearly have some customers that fit this bill and you will into yep. the future as well. For that cohort of customers, what are some of the keys if you're going to do the heavy lifting to get to value faster? Because I know you've seen folks, you know, stumble for years, you know, before anything is, I don't know, even reasonably deployed, you know, uh, maybe even before we have pilots that are convincing. So you, you've seen stumbles. You've also seen people do it well. If we're going to do the deep investment, what's going to make time to value sort of swifter? What are the critical elements? Well, I think, again, it, it's all about choosing the right level of abstraction. You know, some people want to go and cobble together the solution with, you know, a plethora of subsystem components and effectively build their own hardware based on components. Um, you see that a lot with the very large tech companies because they have the time and the resources to do that. You have a very, you know, a smaller number of players that are providing complete systems and then an even smaller subset providing complete integrated systems. And so to raise the abstraction away from the, the subsystem components and the systems themselves and have broader infrastructure solutions that encompass not just the compute, but network and storage, you know, that's going to, you know, just minimize the system integration headaches that are at a very low and tactical level and, you know, en enable you to focus more on delivering better performance and power efficiency and, and scale and ease of use to turn turn the keys over to developers quicker in terms of time to value. Kind of like the, I guess the analogy that you're making of the car, right? Where instead of like, well, hopefully this uh, this axle is going to fit on this chassis yeah. that we bought, and that you're, you're saying that you know the, the closer we can have to something that's coherent that can work, you know, where we won't have to to play Legos and we can just focus on the work, could be a swifter swifter way to get there. 
Yeah, it's all about, you know, how, how much value do you think you're adding relative to the inputs you're, you're providing, right? And, and if it's, uh, you know, assembling the Lego blocks, as you said, how measurable is that in terms of the overall application value or the value you're driving in terms of delivering services or new products for the organization? Um, I would argue it, it's um, hard, to, hard to see and hard to track and therefore maybe not really there. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of a personal anecdote. I, I, I remember at some point wanting to just have a really super powerful home computer like five years ago. And I have a, a friend who's a, a friend who's a real, real whiz with, uh, you know, displays and monitors and computers and all kinds of fancy custom built stuff. And I talked right. to him for, you know, 45 minutes about all the cool things I could do. And then he was like, yeah, but if you want it to work reliably, you should just get like, one of the big Macs and then get this kind of display and it just actually won't break on you. And, and I was like, damn, okay. like, <laughs> you know, th- there was, there was like some nominal adjustments to like little cool things I could do. But at the end of the day, there was that push and pull as to like, does that add value or not? And I guess what you're saying is when you, when you think about the pieces to the full infra investment, think about how much micro tweaking versus how much out of the box, like is actually going to help. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, you know, the other aspect of it is just, you know, the more bespoke and custom your deployment becomes, the fewer and fewer people you can go to to help you to support that long term. I mean, in, in your example, your custom gaming PC. At the yeah, end of day, whatever it was. You yeah. were the only one who knew how it was built. And you're the only <laughs> one that could support it. With Mac, you've got your choice of, you know, a thousand or whatever support centers. Exactly. Exactly. Same yeah. support. And yep. every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly an advantage there. All right. So for the deep investment, we've talked about why and we've talked about some of the potential elements to speed here. The other side of this is the more API level cloud level access. Naturally, I guess this might be for folks who aren't doing something in innately deep in R&D, innately hardcore tech heavy, close to the metal, or maybe something that's that doesn't need to be a super robust core competency investment. So it's more on that gradient when we might want to do this this API stuff. What are maybe some of the other reasons why we might want to go with this newer, swifter, more cloud-oriented paradigm? And let's talk a little bit about what some of the critical factors would be to make that work. Because there's a lot of ways to plug and play AI and hope to pipe you know API stuff through and just not think through the details and still not get value out of it. So when do we do it and what would make it efficient? You know, I'll make the argument that you if you have performance and you've got accuracy, and you've got scale, but you don't have ease of use or ease of integration, um, none of the first three things really matter, right? Yeah, and and we see that. We, we see that with a lot of customers. And, and you know, it, it may make sense, you know, for small, uh, you know, pilot projects to, you know, go and hands-on do everything because you're just experimenting. But I would argue maybe it doesn't even in that case. But, you know, in particular, as you get to um, medium and large-scale projects, these can take years to architect, deploy, and optimize um, at extremely high costs. And, and, and the, I'm not just talking about the cost of procuring infrastructure, but you know, there's the cost associated with the recruitment and hiring and training of a significantly, a significantly sized team of you know, very hard to find ML experts. These monetary costs of such projects can easily you know, get into tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. I would also say that, you know, I, I think there's a greater cost here, though, which is the uh, forgone opportunity cost of time to market, time to revenue, and, and time lost to your competitors who are, who are moving faster than you. You know, if you believe, you know, generating a new ML or AI 
product or service is going to yield you, you know, pick your number, you know, a hundred million dollars a year, a billion dollars a year in the two years that it takes you to do the, the aforementioned tasks of, you know, architecting, deploying and optimizing the system, you know, that could be, you know, 200 to $2 billion of lost revenue, as well as first mover advantage in the market, which, you know, is very hard to um, ever get back if, if you ever lose that. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess ways to calculate and think about you know, what our value is, as you had mentioned, what our opportunity cost is. If we do decide to go down this road where it's going to be more API oriented, it, it might actually behoove us to go through a couple examples just mm. so somebody can hold an, a picture in their mind. You know, we might think about an e-commerce site that wants to do either recommendations for products on their site, or maybe they want to do recommendations for product inclusions and in some of their email banners, and they want to really calibrate this per user or something like this. Is this the kind of thing that might fit with the API style model, so long as the right data could flow in and out? Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing really is is three areas that are kind of driving interest in the market. Um, the one which you astutely pointed out is, is recommendation systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's probably the, the easiest and most common one for people to grasp because after all, we interact with these type of we systems. We all use Amazon day. and Facebook and Spotify <laughs> right? every day. Yeah. So um, the other ones, uh, you know, are also fairly common. There's, you know, language processing, um, you know, whether that be with your digital assistants doing speech to text or spit, you know, text to speech type things. There's text and document extraction. There's, um, you know, search auto completion. You know, all of these type of workloads are, are huge revenue drivers for companies. Um, and then the other area we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, thrust in the market is around computer vision, but more specifically around high resolution computer vision, because computer vision in and of itself is not anything new, and but it's been really relegated to the low resolution area where the big challenge is the, the multitude of devices out there, whether they, they be microscopes or satellites, are outputting images in higher and higher resolution every year. And so the ability to train ML models with high-resolution models or high-resolution images, you know, really lends to a much more higher-quality model and output from the inferencing perspective. And so those are kind of the three areas we're seeing, uh, you know, driving the market. And that's where a lot of your, you know, early use cases are, and, and mm-hmm. people go on and Google Samba Nova will see plenty more in those three domains. But it sounds like hypothetically, there's examples where any of those could hypothetically be be API type scenarios, whether we're, I mentioned product recommendations, maybe we're talking about document search and discovery. Hypothetically, any of these could be API callable versus things that we have to do the big, you know, infrastructure hardcore investment on. When we make that decision, let's say we are an e-commerce company, I'm just going to use one random example to make it tangible. I know the listeners always appreciate when we have an example. So Marshall, if you have a, a better one or one that's more representative, feel free to swap it. But if we just randomly talk about recommendation uh, stuff off the bat here. You know, we're an e-commerce business. Our broadcast emails are going to have hyper-tailored little units that are have, have product inclusions. Our website's going to reference the kind of content and products that we think are going to improve cart value or long-term customer lifetime value or whatever we're optimizing for. When we make that decision, now it's time to take this more API approach. What are the factors we need to think through to make sure that that setup goes well? We give things access to the right kind of data. Like you said, in this case, we're putting a lot of that heavy lifting, model selection, different elements of complexity in, in the vendor's court. What do we need to give to the vendor so they can actually do a good job? What are the important things to bear in mind if we're taking that road? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to data set and, uh, you know, training the models on on a custom corpus that's, you know, specific to the industry and the customer themselves. Everything else can potentially be offloaded to a vendor who can provide you some sort of a, you know, extensible ML platform service like a data flow as a service type offering. The other consideration is, you know, do you want to be making your API calls out to a, um, you know, a hosted environment or a public cloud type environment? Or in many cases, what we're seeing, especially with regulated customers or customers who have highly sensitive data sets is they want to actually make those API calls to a system behind their firewall. And so that introduces kind of this hybrid cloud model then, you know, where we would put a system that we own, we monitor, we manage, and we support behind the customer's firewall. And uh, they subscribe to it as a service, you know, it's data flow as a service. And, you know, the commercial side of it just looks like a, you know, a, a cloud subscription or a, and, uh, you know, from a developer standpoint, uh, you know, the CURL call they're making for the API just gets pointed to the machine that's sitting behind their firewall as opposed to, you know, sitting somewhere else. And so that's really, a, operationally, it's, it's, it's a same, same model regardless of where the system's deployed. But it gives that flexibility for customers who want to have data locality for their AI compute, for example. Okay, so one of the decisions. So if we, you know, we're that e-commerce business, we're gonna we're gonna do this kind of personal product stuff. One of the considerations is, hey, where do we sort of want this model trained? Where do we want this stuff stored? Do we need this behind our firewall? Can we just kind of have this with the vendor entirely? That that's one level. That's one decision we need to make to make sure that we can do this effectively and it'll serve our business needs. Yeah. What what else do we need to consider? I guess you know, as we're setting up, you know, we're looking at who to work with. What else are we considering when we're doing this more API? type approach, maybe to make sure the vendor has the right data? How do, how do we know we're doing a good enough job there? And anything else that you would advise folks to make sure that they can get the value faster? Well, I think that, you know, again, the biggest value to this type of model, which we touched on briefly before, is it's the time savings. It's the ability to generate new revenue streams via producing new products or services quicker, getting those to market in a short time frame, but also faster than competition. The other thing is the staffing side of it, right, is how much of an augmentation of your ML skills do you need the vendor to provide you? You know, as we gave in the prior examples around the infrastructure play, a lot of that, in fact, all of that ML capability still rests on, on the shoulders of the customer. With this type of, a, of an offering, an API-driven data flow as a service offering, you know, this is really for people who say, hey, look, I love the whole infrastructure play, but I don't have the 300 plus uh, data, data scientists, scientists yeah, and, and ML experts that the big hyperscalers have, for example. But you know, you know, I have I have three people, you know, and, and my plan over the next 24 months is to grow that team to five. <laughs> sure, so that's yeah, exactly yeah. that's exactly what this type of, yeah, of yeah. model is for to actually augment your existing ML capabilities or lack thereof. And enable you to have, you know, near hyperscaler-like AI expertise and capabilities via the platform. Yeah, without having to build all the stuff themselves. Just in terms of final advice here per the question, you know, clearly there's advantages, as we talked about. You know, when it comes to getting started, we've got three folks that are our data scientists. We don't have 300, not, not by any means. So this is really the only viable option we'd have in this case, would be going a route like this, where we can, we can really put this stuff in the vendor's court rather than, than our own. 
deciding whether we want it behind a, a paywall or not is one thing. What should we prepare to bring to the vendor? What kind of conversation should we prepare to have with the vendor? In this case, you can think about your own experience that would allow us as the customer to move quickly with you to get that this API level thing. Like some folks think like, okay, do we just kind of give you the data and tell you the end goal? And then you come back with the magic way to do it. Like realistically, what's the interaction look like? Yeah, I mean that that's the the ideal uh, the ideal conversation to have, right? And I think depending on which vendor you're talking to, you're going to have varying degrees of yep, that. Yep, I imagine. Um, yeah, and I think uh, you know that that's certainly the thing to aspire to is I, I think ideally if you can just say you know these are the outcomes that we want to achieve, you know if you've got the right vendor chosen, they can do the sizing, um, you know of the deployment. They can do the correct model selection for you. Um, really what it comes down to is you need to find a vendor who you can partner with and effectively outsource the expertise to the vendor who can bring that to you to augment your, your ML capabilities. It's going to be a challenge for, for some vendors who are much more uh, component and infrastructure focused to deliver that. Yep. And you really want to look at people who are thinking from things from a software defined perspective and a software first mindset. Yeah. Yeah, it's, the the panoply of folks that are going to, uh, the, the way this space is going to evolve is going to be interesting, but I think we will see a good deal of both. Clearly, you guys are working in both directions. We've gotten to talk a good deal about some of the factors that will help us get to value faster for both those directions. I'll put kind of a cap on a few of the things you highlighted, see if there's anything else you want to mention before we wrap up here, Marshall. But you know, you talked about you know the importance of really thinking about, is this core capability kind of investment that we actually need? Do we actually have the staff, you know, deciding on the API versus infra path is one thing that that's one way to help us kind of make a faster decision. Another way that you just brought up is, you know, really understand your problem, really understand the goal that you're after. So when you have that interaction with the right partner, you know what the heck you're after. You can define it, they can define it. You've maybe taken a good enough look at your data where you know you can do it. And now they can do what they're, what they're best at. Any other little tidbits of advice that you'd you'd advise folks who want to get to value faster, no matter which adoption approach they take? Anything else you want to throw out there as we wrap up? I mean, I would just say that, you know, part of our goal is, you know, to be able to just say yes to any customer, regardless of their uh, desire for different uh, uh, types of deployment and, and procurement models, um, which is why, you know, we talked at great length about both the infrastructure and the as a service models. I think that, you know, ML projects of any size and scope and scale, you know, we, we can help to implement in a fraction of the time without the need to acquire additional ML experts uh, because, you know, we've been very thoughtful about, you know, actually uh, implementing those advanced ML capabilities built into the platform itself to then enable the customer to think about their business and, and, and how they build upon the platform rather than building the platform itself. We all know, uh, anybody that's close to this market, how important it's going to be to make these tools more, you know, there's like user-friendly, accessible, there's a thousand ways to say it. And I think that the transition to this, you, you would, you would, your language was level of abstraction. The pathways to get there, I think, are really going to unlock, allow people with, without the data science knowledge to really take their context of the business and, and really turn it into a serious advantage. And I know that's what you folks are working on precisely. So I'm glad we got to paint some of that vision today and also hopefully open the minds of our listeners who are tuned in as to the ways that adoption could look like and the factors to bear in mind to make sure that it goes well. So Marshall, pleasure having you back with us uh, and looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Dan. Hope to be back soon.
So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Marshall for joining us again. I've spoken to Marshall, I think, for the first time two or three years ago with one of our Kisako Research interviews. We've been working with Kisako Research on their AI hardware events for many, many years, and I was introduced to Marshall back then. Great to have our relationship and have other reasons to pull him back into other episodes. So good to have Marshall with us, and thank you to you, our listener, for staying tuned all the way through to the end of this episode. I certainly appreciate having you here as a listener. Listener. And if you're not already following us on social, consider doing that as well. If you like learning more about these episodes and you want to see all of our use cases, trends, and infographics as they go live, following us on social is the best way to do that. It's at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter, pretty easy to find, or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. So be sure to follow us on social if you haven't already. We'd appreciate having you part of that conversation in addition to being part of our podcast community. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. 